listening to a podcast of The View, where we discuss today's topics from an anti-racist, anti-oppressive, multicultural perspective. This podcast is brought to you by the Church of the Larger Fellowship. To subscribe, visit questformeaning.org or search for Church of the Larger Fellowship in the iTunes Store. Um, it's supposed to be 80 degrees today, um, which is just not what it's supposed to be in the middle of, of March. And um, I, I just, I'm like, okay, we get it. We're, we're fucking it up. We really need to, uh, to, do, to do some work on our planet. So that's how I'm doing. <laughs> Michael Tino, how are you? Good morning, everyone. Michael Tino here in Peekskill, New York, uh, Westchester County, East Coast. Uh, epicenter of um, the pandemic, um, so you've got you've got view hosts in both the East Coast and West Coast uh, centers of this. Um, it's spring here in suburban New York, and uh, things are blooming in my garden. And um, I'm okay. I'm I, I, faced with the opportunity to look like business from the waist up. I chose bright tie-dye instead because it is um it is a gloomy gray day here inside and out uh and i just decided no 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 gloomy gray day um antonia bell delgado is doing tech again this week uh and is behind the chalice are, are you going to say hi antonia that we're getting a little bit of buffering and that those are streaming issues it could be that zoom is overloaded antonia what do you what can you tell us it looks like when we started, we had excellent, um, an excellent condition for streaming, and then we were live, and now we don't. So it could be Zoom, it could be YouTube, and you all will experience buffering, but we will be here and come back. Um, stay with us if you can, and this will go to podcast. So subscribe to our podcast on Apple and everywhere that podcasts are located. And you will see this Apple, Google Play, uh, anywhere else that podcasts are. I'll be behind the chalice here, making sure that your questions and comments get over to our host. I am in Wilmington, Delaware. It is raining and gray. I am homeschooling. Yeah, we're all home. So I'll just start by saying that, you know, we, this thread I've been loving is reporting on our coworkers. One of my coworkers right now will not stop barking. So. <laughs> Between children and pets, there you go. That's just going to be that quick. on cue. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, HR won't do anything about it. We have a couple special guests today. Um, Michael, you want to introduce guests? And I would love to introduce our special guests. Um, we have Tim Atkins, who currently serves as the director of Lifespan Religious Education at the Cedar Lane UU Church in Bethesda, Maryland. Tim has a strong focus on family ministry in his religious education work. Previously, he served as a member of the UUA board and as the social media director for the Church of the Larger Fellowship. And fun fact, Tim was the very first tech support person on The View, uh, episode one. Tim, Tim uh, did the tech. So welcome back, Tim. It's like a reunion. Happy to be back. Yay. And we also have Joy Berry with us today. Joy Berry is the Assistant Director of the FOS Collaborative for Innovation in Faith Formation at the Meadville Lombard Theological School. 
Joy previously served as a congregational religious educator for a decade in three different churches in Arkansas, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. She is currently enjoying a return to her rural upbringing, sequestering carbon in a shared ministry of regenerative agriculture with a flock of ruminants and chickens as her collaborator on a 10-acre farm in very rural western North Carolina. And um, I'm, I'm upset that you're not on the farm today, Joy, because I was hoping to meet Greta the sheep. Um, but it's wonderful to have you with us. Um, so today we are talking about uh, faith formation and um, what we are doing uh, as congregations that are meeting only virtually uh, to, uh, to engage in faith formation, um, especially with children and youth, but not only with children and youth, right? Faith formation is for people of all ages. Um, and Meg, I think that all of the VIEW co-hosts are religious educators, even if um, only two of us have been DREs in the last decade. So, <laughs> um, so I don't know exactly where to start. Um, Tim, do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the programs that, that you're doing at Cedar Lane and how they're working for you? Sure. Um, I can't get into too much how they're working for me because yesterday was our first day, right? So uh, we have a day and a half on our, uh, under our belt so far. So I'm thinking with um, our religious education and programming for children, youth, and adults for like the next two weeks is really focused on community first and foremost. So every weekday morning, we are having an open drop-in coffee hour for parents from 8 to 9 before they have to work from home so they have a chance to breathe. So parent, caregiver, coffee hour. This morning, we had um, several join us. We And our senior minister dropped in for a while to chat with everyone there, and it's proving to be a nice um, area. Yesterday, our associate minister. And so folks are really... Um, appreciating this time to connect with senior staff and to see our face, frankly. And so I uh, serve a large congregation. We have about 750 adults and 200 children and youth. So I have um, a staff team that is no longer doing what they were doing two weeks ago. My nursery attendant is no longer a nursery attendant on Sunday mornings right now. And so I uh, rallied my staff team. Um, we started coming up with ideas on Saturday. We had a program-wide staff team meeting and everyone is taking on some different online programming. So Isabel, our nursery attendant right now is doing story time with Isabel because our nursery kids and the feedback we hear from the parents is that the kids have formed a bond with our nursery attendants. And what that just seeing their face, hearing their voice will help calm their anxiety. We are doing, uh, our nursery coordinator is doing a twice a week craft time. She also is a science educator and is going to pull in some science lessons too. We had our first craft time yesterday and it was gloriously chaotic. I loved it. Like if you're doing one of these programs, here's a quick tip. We'll get into plenty of more of these later, but the first 15 minutes or so are really show and tell time and make faces on camera time. Just accept it appreciate it thrive it's glorious it really is all right uh we are doing a once a week family chapel we uh, had our first one of those last night our we have a children's choir director who's helping me with the family chapels and jenny our children's choir director is doing a once a week family sing-along with uh she's got her and her kids are gonna sing some hymns and some other campfire songs and it should be great 
One of our volunteers, Katrina, an RE moms, is a yoga teacher and does uh, multi-generational yoga at Cedar Lane. And so she is um, set up and we are going to do family yoga twice a week. And she's also agreed to offer an adult yoga class as well online. Um, we have uh, youth groups as well happening. We're going to have a once a week just general check-in for both middle and high schoolers combined. And then a once a week middle school youth group online, a once a week high school youth group online. What those look like are to be determined. Uh, the first one's tonight. Woohoo! Uh, our team will be planning that out soon, uh, like in the next couple of hours. But the focus is going to be on check in. How's it going? And then if we need you know, an easy activity, it's really show and tell. Go find an object that makes you feel happy and come and talk about it. Um, really easy. And um, we'll put folks in the right frame of mind. Um, and then Sunday morning. So with our Sunday morning program, we're going to do a family coffee hour at the beginning before our worship. We are live streaming worship 11 to 12 for everyone. And then we are going to have some programming for children and youth from 1 to 2, which the first couple of weeks is going to be focused on just connections. And, fam and um, we, we will do breakout groups in a Zoom call of just kids of similar ages, not sticking to the old classes quite yet. And then a couple of weeks after this kind of initial phase of focus on community building has died down, we're gonna look at investigating an online learning platform like Moodle or those kinds of things to help with some of these adult and children and youth RE classes. Um, and then that's just the programming for families. <laughs> And then we are working on rolling out programming for adults. The bit, uh, right now we're talking, doing a uh, lunch hour from 12 to one, open drop-in lunch hour with senior staff for folks just to build those connections. And I just, a program I'm gonna be offering is I just found a book that is Fairy Tales for Elders, where all the, I know, right? It's a book that I just found in my office. I don't even know where it came from. It's called In the Ever After. So we're gonna do Fairy Tales for Adults. And after each fairy tale in here, there is a reflection and some discussion questions. Perfect. So that's a little bit about what we're doing here at Cedar Lane. So we've been at this for a little longer than you all. Um, our first uh, group to go online three weeks ago was we have a family covenant circle. So it's families and they're there. We have to, it started with one a few years ago and now it's two groups and they're split by uh, age of child and it's parent or caregiver so there's grandparents in it um and they they were the when this was first starting to hit i said to them we're having minimal folks on campus please meet through zoom so there was a little bit of grumbling well it's better when we're in person i said i hear that and we're gonna here's the zoom <laughs> information um and so that kind of happened before anything else in the congregation happened online and so they were they kind of hit the ground running what some I just I have a uh, I'm gonna send Antonia the link to add, to send to the to the um, folks who are watching our RE coordinator Amanda Uluhan created a Facebook page on how to make chalices at home so that when whenever we're to and as simple as take a cup and saucer you know turn it upside down put the saucer on top and put a candle and there you have a chalice you know two more complicated ones. Um, <clears throat> We uh, started a family Facebook page, which we hadn't had before. We had only a church one. Uh, and so we have, this way kind of uh, focuses only on how you're doing with, with everyone who's home and what are your needs. Tonight is gonna be our first parent um, 
drop in Zoom just for folks to check in. And then we're also gonna have, same as you, Tim, I have childcare, we're, um, RE nursery people who uh, now, you know, the, the children adore and it's kind of sweet because every person we've had, they bond to. So we may do a, we have a Lego ministry. So we may do that online and have, we already had some adults make chalice Legos and now they're posting their pictures. Um, so we're, we're, it's, we're, been we really what happened what ended up happening for us because we had never done online worship is it was all hands on deck to provide worship last week and i was the tech person which is very funny because i am not a tech person but i'm the one who knows zoom most so last sunday i was like um so that so we now are have a little more breathing room to be like okay we did it it actually went really really well and now we're um We've been focusing on families, but now, so I don't have nearly as many programs as you have already online. Um, however, we're keeping in touch with folks. Um, they know we're working hard and now we're going to start daytime stuff for folks to also half hour. We're thinking half hour story time, half hour. We may have one of our older youth who also do Legos. Um, we have a Dungeons and Dra Dragons group that means at someone's house. We're going to ask them like, what would it look like if you did some of this online? So, um, same idea and and the heartwarming thing i need to say is folks have been so generous of spirit and gracious and wanting to be part of, and we've seen families who are usually late on sunday mornings and don't usually get to church join us online which has been really um like i said heartwarming and gracious and i'm i'm very grateful uh oh where did joy go <laughs> on your just uh on your note um about uh, needing to do the tech support. I think 75% of congregations right now, their uh, director of religious education is also director of tech support, right? For right How now. How funny is that? Well, and in mine, it's the minister. So there we go. <laughs> it's, all, wanted, it's all good. I wanted to um, mention a platform that um, one of our viewers who ran a K-6 Google Classroom has some ideas. That would be the president of Middle. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so there's all kinds of religious educators in the world. Just wanted to say it. That's uh, Ilias Ortega. And um, so that seems like a lot. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I serve a tiny congregation and we are, um, we are not doing all that, um, I have to say. And so, Joy, I, you know, I noticed that you, um, you posted something on, on Facebook uh, recently um, about how the whole church needs to be the curriculum um, and that we have an opportunity uh, to lean into that now. And I'm wondering if you might say something more about that and the philosophical things that we have an, uh, uh, an opportunity to, to think yeah. about. It's so inspiring to hear because my my thinking now that I am you know extra congregational working as I do at a you know at the the at a center for faith innovation faith formation innovation at Meadville Lombard highlights um, my concentration now is not so much on nuts and bolts content my concentration is really about what is the big picture about how faith formation is the essential ministry of Unitarian Universalism. And where do we fail in doing that? Where are our growing edges? And where are the places we're doing it well? And as Jake Morrill always said, you know, look for the where the energy is and, and attend to, to growth there. Um, so I'm very inspired to hear about how some of what I've been thinking about could actually look 
in congregations, I think the emphasis there should be on the word could because it's absolutely true that congregational leaders should be the ones to decide what will work, where is the energy. But I think there are some overarching things that, that I would love to share. Um, you said about the congregation being the curriculum. I'm going to ask him if he'll share the, um, the graphic that I made. This is a few years ago. It's just really, really lucky that I happened to make this graphic um, using an empty sanctuary um, because that's where we are now, isn't it? Um, and certainly the idea doesn't come from me. It was developed first by Maria Harris um, and then Connie Goodbread expanded upon it and, and made a huge difference in my own faith formation as a religious educator. This idea that every single thing we do is faith development, that literally it is all, it is the project of Unitarian Universalism is faith development. When we, we forget that at our peril. Um, so every single thing we do is teaching a lesson right now about what it means to be a person of faith. And then the next part of that being that Unitarian Universalism is all we teach, meaning we are literally teaching right now not just from the pulpit and from the RE classroom. We are literally teaching ourselves, all of our congregants, all of those free range you use who are tapping in right now in a way they haven't, and people who are seeing what we're doing and getting interested. Um, we are teaching what Unitarian Universalism is about. And then that third statement might seem the hairiest right now, but, um, but that's, that's the work, isn't it? If the congregation is the curriculum and we have assumed that the congregation lives in the church, then how does this time really force us and allow us to um, think not of this as a moment of isolation? Because if you are one of the people who has been privileged enough that the congregational setting on site was truly um, ed educational and connective for you, that is wonderful. And you have the, you have the, um, the nuts and bolts on the on sort of mother, um, on the on the deep drive right to continue that but for those who have not found the congregational setting to be a place of um, great opportunity for faith formation how might we meet those needs now how might we be freed a little bit from some of the congregational roadblocks I and mean, that's why i left congregations saw the same patterns over and over again that faith formation was so hard in church ironically and i just want to point out too that um we're in liminal space. My own thinking has been greatly um, impacted by Susan Beaumont's work and anthropologists before that years ago. But the idea that, that every culture has a way that they manage liminal space, the threshold moment, when one thing has ended and a new thing has not begun. We have the opportunity to, um, to manifest the liberation of the, that our faith promises by being freed of some of the um, constraints right now. And we don't have to leave anybody behind. And in fact, we can pick up more folks on our journey and move together. And I wanna I'll end this, just my little thing here. This is so many words. I would be in trouble in the pulpit for speaking too fast, I'm sure. But the last thing I wanna say is that we have a norm of thinking about faith formation as being for kids. But what is the demographic that has had least access to faith formation opportunities in our congregations? I would submit that it's the Xers, the people who have young children, our millennials and our Xers, 
who have not been able to attend all those wonderful beloved conversations and creating theology together and um, soul work and whatever other programs we offer. And yet right now, those folks, parents in particular, but also our elders who many of them are tech savvy and can be helped to be tech savvy, we can right now impact them with more faith formation than they've ever had. So that when we do come back to church, to the church that will be, we will have adults more faith developed and more ready and capable to teach our children and to be better Unitarian Universalists. Check. Amen. Excellent. We have a lot of folks um, chatting online and it's hard for me even to keep up because we usually, um, you know, this is maybe the second highest number of people we've had after last week. Uh, but Darby Lockridge says, yes, DBLE alum here. This lives in my brain even without being in leadership anymore. Um, Heather Walker says, good morning from Calgary. We had our first virtual Sunday service, 40 or more LinkedIn. I watched with my neighbor. We had set this up over the last few years. And Tanya Webster says, yes, this has been so important to me as well. A lot of amens happening and indeeds and all sorts of uh, wonderful affirmative uh, responses um, to, what we're, to what we're discussing. Chris, I'm wondering if, if uh, you have something uh, that you want to share that you've been thinking about how we should, we, we should be uh, approaching this as our host guest. <laughs> Host slash guest. Um, I think that one of the things that I'm aware of not being in a congregation is and and kind of seeing all of this come together um, because I'm not responsible for a particular congregation is um, the ways in which we need to help support our religious professional staff um, to not reinvent the wheel because there's a lot of wheels getting reinvented right now. And, um, and that's okay. Like, you know, at this point in time, everybody's just like, oh my God, we just got to do something. Um, but I think as we live into this, it's going to be really important for our uh, mental health and for our taking care of ourselves as religious professionals um, to start seeing the ways in which we can collaborate, not just within our staff groups, but between congregations because um, we're the UUA Association of Congregations, um, because I really think that that is how we're going to make it in the long term. And I, I think, you know, I think we're in this for a while. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't think that the pace at which you've seen your religious professionals work in the past two weeks is something that is sustainable at all. And that means that and even with that just having been the learning curve, um, even after that learning curve, the pace at which we would be able to say it's, to do this is not sustainable. So that means looking at um, your clusters and saying, okay, how can we take, you know, how can we, as Megan was saying, how can we take a shift for the revolution? Um, so maybe every congregation isn't doing Sunday service every week. Um, and you invite each other to each other's uh, Sunday service and you start rotating that. Um, you know, maybe one congregation has somebody who is really, really strong in that, you know, pre-K through one, they've got a great online program going and they can invite the congregations nearby them um, to, to do that. Uh, or even from across, you know, from, from New England down to Florida. 
bigger, bigger, bigger. Yeah. I want to just say right now we have the opportunity to be one people, you know, and Mm -hmm. when I hear everything Tim's offering, I'm like a large church with a large staff can do all of that. Most of our churches can't. So how do we, and so to start just a tiny piece of this, CLF has made a community calendar that everyone can post events on. Now, some events, you know, you want to be with your own people and see familiar faces, and that's the goal. But for story hour, for all of a lot of these things, we could have like UUTV basically with different time zones, doing bedtime at different times. And and I, I just want to think as big as we can. I mean, to me, this is so exciting. And I think religious educators are always the ones who collaborate out front because you have to or, or you die in the program. You have to be an organizer. You have to, you can't just stand in the pulpit and say that wasn't that good this week. You, you just have to have people in place. So I think as the organizers in our congregations, I'd love to see religious educators be across the world, actually, not even just across the nation, because we've got people all over um, in different time zones presenting and from different cultural perspectives. And so Um, Yeah, CLF, just this calendar is a starting place, but everything that could be shared, I think if we don't duplicate, and I just, I know I'm going to stop after this, but I, you know, I've been doing online services for 10 years, and I said this online, and someone took it as a critique, a very tired colleague who's been working her butt off to climb this huge mountain said, you know, I feel an ouch, because I feel like you're critiquing what I'm doing. No, I'm worried about, yeah. I am. I know what it takes to sustain one online congregation, and I'm just. I'm worried about my beloved. When I say colleagues, I mean all of us, the leaders, lay leaders, religious educators, administrators, recreating tiny little pieces when we could open source, draw from each other, and work a lot less, and be grounded with our kids and our homes and all the other things pulling at our own health, and you know just. And just to say, you know, we haven't yet hit the stage where there are a lot of sick people and we're going to need backup for people who are doing things. And so having a robust rotation that that's collaborative on a huge level, I think it could be a great opportunity, like Joyce said, to create kind of what we've been wanting to create anyway. Anyway, I'll stop there. But I just I have this dream of what we could do now. Actually, Especially Peter, for yeah. small congregations, I think somebody was posting a couple of people are part of a tiny congregation. So that maybe the calendar, a way to connect those folks that maybe don't even have professional or paid staff, that they are completely lay led. So a way to connect those folks with everything that's happening online and accessible. And I think that- and, and so one of the ways we're trying to do that is um, right now there's a ginormous um, Facebook group for UU religious professionals and lay leaders, uh, lay leaders of congregations who don't have um, religious professional staff. And um, and it's one of those ones where it's like drinking from the fire hose, absolutely. So what um, a group of us are working on, I think is gonna launch today or tomorrow if it hasn't already this morning, haven't kept up on my thread, um, is we're breaking that group out into subgroups. Um, so groups that are, um, you know, where you'll just post about tech issues or groups where you'll just post about worship or groups where you'll just post about faith development or um, pastoral care. 
um, all of those different kinds of things so that we can really start to, um, to help people like ratchet down the, the um, unsustainable workload um, and try and, and really encourage people to, to come in and collaborate together. Um, and the other thing I'll mention about that collaboration though is um, we really, really need our ordained clergy colleagues who are supervising religious educators um, to allow this to happen. Um, because as uh, avant-garde as religious educators can be, um, unless we have the support of who we're reporting to, including our, our staff supervisors or board supervisors, um, we're, you know, we, we need that latitude to be able to say, no, you know, I think this is really the thing we need to be doing, and we need folks to be listening to that. As we said on The View last week, and God bless y'all, some of y'all still did it, but that's okay, because um, we're all learning together. Um, you cannot recreate, no, you cannot take your Sunday, Sunday morning service and try and recreate it. Like, let's say it again, because we still saw some folks doing it. Please stop trying to recreate your Sunday morning service online. It's just, it just doesn't work. Um, you know, we, we still had some, some congregations who were, who were filming to an, empty to an empty worship hall. And we now know that, that even that isn't going to be sustainable, you know, as, we, um, as we're getting orders for shelter in place and things like that. Um, so really just, you know, take, take this week, take this time to just, you know, rethink and imagine what it could be without having to recreate that exactly the way it is. So to uplift Christina's point about the collaboration, so stories from the DC area right now. Um, last week we had our regular cluster meeting that was right before everything got shut down. Um, and so we started, uh, but we knew it was coming. And so we started plotting out what some of these joint programming could look like within our Loretta cluster. And now our DC area cluster is getting things ramping up as well in terms of how to share resources. A lot of the programs right now are more um, of the gathering the internal community. And once we move to doing, for example, adult online classes, that is gonna be where we really boost up collaboration. Because for some of these classes, there is no reason that it should just be a Cedar Lane program on how to do, how to make a home altar. We are planning on putting up all of our like story times. Anything with the word time in my title is eventually going to be on YouTube. That's how we're kind of marking it. Um, we have to figure out a few things like kids being up there, you know, so we have to do some better editing, not editing, but better management of the streaming part to Zoom. So we're not getting um, certain kids who's, uh, who we don't have permission to share, right? So, um, so we're working on that. Most of these should be shared. We're talking about what an online youth comm would look like in our area. Um, and so I fully agree about the needing to collaborate. And um, a lot of these programs should be open to whomever. And that's one of the questions we're talking about within our congregation right now is how do we handle visitors to our programs or to our worship service? Um, how can we help? How can we have their support? How do we have an online path to membership? So see, there's some of the questions that we're thinking about big picture um, because probably in a month, we're going to need to know the answers to them. We don't need them right now, but we need to start kind of thinking about those just like how we're going to do a, uh, 
in-depth Sunday morning program? So being out of a congregational setting gives me a slightly different view, just like being in a congregational setting gave me a different view than I have now. And both are really important. I want to just observe in a loving way how we are so competent and we are so dedicated to this faith and our colleagues. In particular, I'm speaking of religious educators here, although many, many ministers also fit this, fit this bill. I just want to notice how Christina said something, which was our religious educators are going to need some space to do this. And we said, yes, we agree with that, right? But how many seconds did it take us to come back to, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, because it's in our nature. You know, that when I first became a religious educator, I really had no idea what was going on. I've been unchurched since I was a little kid and I grew up free will Baptist, which as y'all heard me make this joke before is not as, as free as you might imagine. But the first thing I ever went to when I was part of, of SWAP, you know, OG SWAP, was Kathy Smith telling me that um, just because someone in my congregation had said that as a DRE, I was an asshole, didn't mean that I wasn't doing my job. And she told me the story of the babies in the river. And it was a profoundly pastoral and also faith developing moment for me to um, recognize that part of our job as religious educators is, well, let me say it this way. We must hold space in our jobs to notice things and say things and communicate things and resist things and keep saying things. I don't have to tell, I'm looking at the faces I know who, who do this as for like literally it's their vocation. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get to here is we are definitely gonna need help in making the space that we need for us to do our jobs well. And ministers are gonna be, ministers are being called um, to help us do that. But I wanna note that saying no to some things makes space for what we have not yet said yes to. And in the coming weeks, not only will we need to know the answers to the questions Tim has answered, some of those answers are going to be, we don't have the room to do that because we don't yet, we have not yet begun in congregational settings, at least, to meet the needs that have not yet begun arising. We don't know what we don't know. But what I do know is that many religious educators and ministers are committed to a trauma-informed um, lens with our ministry of faith formation. And in a congregational setting, pastoral care is often the bailiwick of a minister or um, a set of people, often not the religious educator. It is going to be essential that we understand that the family unit is going to be experiencing trauma in the, they are now. I mean, I'm seeing my children expected to begin online school two days after being sent home from school, to begin online school while my husband teacher is expected to teach school. And there is not, they do not know how to do providing the space. I listen to their check-ins and they go to a great school, which is all about restorative justice and, you know, all the good things. And they still don't know how to, in their check-ins, which was the first thing that they did in their, their little special social group that stays together over multiple years, no matter how, what, how their teachers change. They didn't do a check-in about what are you feeling scared about? Because they don't have the capacity for it. They don't, they're not trained in it, but we are. 
in the coming weeks, we're going to need to understand that faith formation and pastoral care meet in ways we have not known them to in the past. So how is it that your congregational professionals are being given the space to read, think, and learn to prepare themselves for that? And one other point, many of us, we are still a highly gendered profession in religious education. It's changing and it needs to change. And yet the reality is what it is. And in this culture, we know that parenting is also highly gendered. And so our religious educators right now, and many of our ministers, are um, being the primary caregivers and expected to be the, um, the, uh, the shepherds of online education, depending on their, their kids being in public school or not. And there just isn't room in the day for everything. So that makes me want to tap back to, I believe it was Meg who said, we're going to have to spell each other. We're going to have to figure out how if I have a need this week and I can't do the thing that my minister thought I was going to do or that my covenant group thought I was going to do, I have to be able to, um, to tap my, my colleagues and say, can you take my covenant group as well as your own to have that conversation? And if we're not being given the permission, the latitude, Christine, as you said, to do that, then we will miss a unique competency as a faith community that we do have to meet the emotional and spiritual needs of people right now that we maybe have not before. Thank you. So we have lots of stuff going on in our chat, and I just want to like make sure that that here in the when people come back to the podcast, they know that there are people chatting up a storm <laughs> over on YouTube. Uh, and I'm just going to read some of the things that Antonia has been so wonderful about <laughs> about uh, letting us know. Peter Bowden says many congregations are seeing and should expect to see more visitors as they move to have more robust online presence and it's important to keep membership development going. Uh, Twinkle Marie Manning says, uh, amen, what Christina just said, need latitude and freedom to create. Andrea James says, then we can curate rather than create everything, which frees time connecting pastoral and self-care and you know, parenting, caregiving, et cetera. On the curation front, Michael, this is oh, also please. a great ask for a volunteer to do. Oh, yeah. All right. This is a great volunteer ask to be curating these resources. And Dawn Fortune, um, friend uh, and sometimes guest co-host, says, oh, wow, the potential for adult RE classes just exploded in my geographically diverse congregation. It is a challenge to get people to attend programs on weeknights because of driving distances. And here, too, uh, with elders who don't drive at night, um, who are now able to get to things um, or people with uh, mobility challenges who can't move on Sunday mornings who can now attend worship. It's just, uh, there are actually things that this is making possible. Joy, um, when you were talking the first time, the phrase that kept popping into my mind when you were talking about the congregation as curriculum is, um, is Theodore Parker's phrase, I believe, the transient and the permanent. Um, and this is sort of an opportunity. He was talking about Christianity, but I think uh, <laughs> that that this is an opportunity for us to understand um, that the programming is the transient of what we do, like the 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 particulars of the gathering, and that there are some really important things that we need to be attending to in terms of caring for one another um, and connecting with one another. Um, and and I just, I wonder what it means to just give each other the space to do what we can. 
Um, and I've said it to my congregation, part of, part of what I'm struggling with here is uh, that my grandfather died in last week, um, which is why I was not with you last week. Um, and so I was like in the midst of profound grief while trying to figure out how everything in ministry was changing, right? And I just said to folks, I'm going to do what I can, and there's going to be a lot that's not going to be done. And we're going to have to have forgiveness forgiveness in abundance. And people are going to have to have permission to just step in and do things. Tim, you talked about volunteer recruitment. Um, I have people who are who are chomping at the bit to to have book groups and things and and I've just said, okay, we're not going to do all of your ideas next week because we need to space this out. This is going to be months uh, of us doing church differently. So so write your ideas down. I, I made them a document to write them all down in a central document, and we will take one on a week, right? <laughs> we'll add, we'll have one thing a week and I'm not going to lead it. And Darlene, our DRE is not going to lead it. We're going to do stuff. And Terry, our intern is not going to lead it, but you all are going to lead these things for one another. And we'll do what we can and sustain one another. And I just, I think to me that teaches a lesson about what it means to be a community. Tim? Think Orange has this saying that I picked up at one of their conferences um, that this is how we multiply our ministry, getting more volunteers and delegating more. The reason why we are able to offer a fairly robust schedule for my family ministry program is because I had the staff team to do it. And I wanted to make sure my staff team still had hours during this time. And I wanted to make sure that my staff team had something to do. Because everyone right now, when we are asking them to do something, is saying, I am so bored. Please give me something to do. Um, and so I'm, we're, our next big volunteer ask is going to be coming up with a tech usher team. That's what I'm going to call it. There are a group of tech support people to help with Zoom calls, to answer questions on those Sunday mornings. Because really, your new ushers are the tech support team. They really are. And so coming up with a good tech ushering team and getting more asks out like that. Like we have a... Um, we had our first two covenant groups meet online, our Soul Matters groups meet online the past two days, one each day. And it's worked out well. It a couple of questions about uh, some of the accounts set up and everything, but no staff had to be there for it. They handled it on their own and we reported back things went well. So um, it's, the, people are looking for a way to serve right now because we're out of ideas. Yeah, and I've told people, consider that if you have an idea for connecting and caring, that permission is pre-granted to do it. <laughs> like, you don't, you don't like need to, there's not a rigorous approval process that you need to go through. Um, that permission is pre-granted to connect and, and care for people. Um, and that's what we're, we're focusing on. And I love the idea that part of what we're teaching now is that we are a broader faith movement that is interconnected to one another, that we are not just a thousand buildings. Um, and uh, that, that we are, you know, whatever, 200,000 people or 300,000 people or a million people or whatever number we're going to use 
um, and that we're interdependent, even if we can't all any of us be in the same room with one another. And one other quick thing I want to say about uh, faith development and religious education. The past couple of years, religious educators have been talking a lot about um, family ministry and moving religious education to a family ministry approach. And that is what we have to do now. It's all family ministry. So um, for uh, congregations who aren't quite sure about the family ministry bandwagon yet, it left about a week ago. So uh, you can still hop on. But family ministry is really how we have to do faith development, at least for the next few months. And I, oh, sorry, Joy. I just was going to say, Aisha's a little further down the road than the rest of us. And I'm really curious how you see that evolving in Seattle, that family ministry piece. Uh, Yeah, everything, yes to what Tim said. It's it's recognition that now we're, we're looking at this as the entire family unit, because one of the things we're also seeing, especially uh, next week, we're going to have Margaret uh, Rogers, who's at the Kirkland UU congregation where Life's Care Center is. And folks now have people they know who are infected and who, who are dying. And so th- now we're in the stage of both having to take care of our community, stay the F home, um, and then tend to people with like, as Michael was speaking to, who are in grief or about to be in grief. And then the, the ministers and religious educators and staff who are overwhelmed. So it's all kind of a couple of weeks ahead of remembering to breathe and drink water and know that people are going to be both in grief and having to take care of young children. So it's a, it's a holistic trying to uh, really make sure we have the pastoral care piece, who's calling who, who's, so that, that's kind of making sure that lens is there um, and making sure we're taking care of ourselves. And I want to give a shout out to the Stewardship Insti- the Steward, the Trauma Stewardship Institute, which was founded here in the Seattle area. That is, there's a couple of books. There's a website, the Trauma Stewardship Institute.com. Um, and there are a couple of books that talk about helping us, the caregivers and folks in, in service and in helping professions take care of ourselves because then there's secondary trauma. So thank you, Joy, for naming that because there's the folks who are experiencing the direct trauma and then there's the folks who, this is also, Joma Luo um, yesterday said, this. what's happening right now is bringing up trauma for folks who grew up food insecure, who grew up um, you know, there's a lot of PTSD that's going to be coming up for folks as well. So that's what's coming up for us here in Seattle, that now we're a little bit ahead of um, what's been happening. Go ahead, Joy. Yeah, I I keep coming back to, um, you know, like some ministers have said they only have one sermon and, and many religious educators may feel they only have one story for all ages. And I keep coming back to this, how we are truly in the chrysalis right now. We are truly the caterpillar. And it seems as if we have died. Um, For all intents and purposes, many people are experiencing grief and loss around a church that worked so, so very well for them. And that includes professionals as well as lay people. And yet in that time, in the chrysalis, when everything goes dark and the caterpillar is completely alone, it's only then that it dissolves into goo. It doesn't just grow wings and neither are we. We're not going to have a technical adaptation of just slipping the wings on like you can put on on your kid, fairy wings. Instead, 
in order to get to a new way of being, a truly liberated state, out of that chrysalis and in a new form, a transformed shape and way of being, we have to be willing to dissolve utterly into goo. And it is only then that those imaginal DNA cells, the things that we carried with us as a blueprint from the beginning of this faith, it is not just right now that we understand us to be a liberating faith. We just haven't always done a good job of lifting that up and teaching that. But unless we are willing to dissolve, I mean, heck, Jesus said it, right? You have to die completely. Unless we do that, those imaginal DNA cells we've been carrying like a blueprint since the birth of our faith are not going to be able to be activated. So I just want to encourage us to really do some discernment and contemplation time, especially maybe at the staff level around what it means to be in liminal space. I shared those links from Susan Beaumont and do whatever other reading you want to be. But this time in the goo is important. It is not a holding pattern. It is not something we're waiting out. It is the space where we build the church that is to come. And many of us will be able to bring our whole selves and our big ideas to the church that will be born from this time because many, many constraints will have been lifted because we'll know how to be better together. Don has a great point in the chat uh, I want to lift up. Um, it's trauma for those of us who survived the AIDS pandemic too. We've seen this. Some of us go into autopilot and get stuff done while others, while for others, this is a whole new experience. And I just beautiful. I can't add anything else to that. Yeah. And I think part of the AIDS pandemic, which is when I came into ministry was the government's absolute indifference, which is part of the trauma that people are experiencing now is that we have no trust in our, and nor should we have any trust in especially the federal government, but really many of the governments to care for people who are vulnerable. And so, yeah, there's the trauma of the illness and then there's the trauma of the people who are supposed to be helping, not helping. So, and I noticed somebody from New Orleans said that Katrina was also coming up now. And yeah, all the people who have lived through that indifference on top of the crisis are, are going to be in trauma right now. So love to yeah. be kind. I, I want to hold up, um, given that we only have about seven minutes left today, that next week we are focusing on pastoral care um, in a coronavirus world. So we will have guests specifically talking about um, pastoral care and um, trauma ministry uh, and th that sort of work. Um, so I don't want to go too far down that road, given that that's the topic of next week. Um, so I want to bring us back to, to faith development and what it is that we are learning about one another and learning and teaching one another in, in, uh, in how we care for one another now. We'll talk about how we care for one another next week, but what we're learning and teaching in, in doing that work, um, I guess, is where, where I want to, uh, where I'm hoping we'll spend our last couple minutes. Aisha? One of the, um, one, my, the Amanda, who I work with very closely, Eddie Shore, the RE programs coordinator, made a great point yesterday when we had our religious educator cluster meeting. She said, now what families have an opportunity to do is live out Unitarian Universalism at home. Make the chalice, do a reading, sing. I don't, at least, 
I mean, I would love to think that that was happening. I don't think quite what they came to church. It was, it was a little more transactional for some folks, not all, of course, where you went to church. That's where we lit the chalice. That's where we took owl. That's where we did our E. Now it's like, hey, here's how to make an altar. Here's how to make a chalice. Here are the songs to sing. Here are the readings. Here are some stories. And so it really creates as parents are the primary religious educators, parents are the primary sexuality educators, primary value educators, and so, and caregivers and folks who are around the people who are forming our children and youth. So th that, that I think for me was like a light bulb, like, oh yeah, this is now something, an opportunity that we haven't had. It's like, hey, this is how we live out our faith, which, which I think for me had growing up Muslim, that's all we, we, we rarely went to the mosque. It was always at home. And so now it's like Unitarian Universalism. This is what it looks like at home. And I think that's part of the liminal uh, space and, and joy. I just need to, I love this. I can listen to you all freaking day. I just want to tell you hey, that. Aisha, I, 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 I think um, you brought up something that I've been talking about with Darlene, who's the DRE that I am privileged to work with. And um, for those of us who've taught our whole lives, OWL, um, you know that the way that the curriculum is written is that there's this secular curriculum and then there's a faith supplement, right? So there's the Unitarian Universalist faith supplement and the UCC faith supplement. And, and those of us who teach this curriculum in UU congregations, we add in the, the faith supplement to the secular curriculum. Um, and we are essentially writing the Unitarian Universalist faith supplement for life right now <laughs> that is that that is what we yeah. are doing we we are so you know what i've encouraged us to say is you know let's not add on 10 more lessons that our parents have to teach our children but think about like okay where do we find connection to the interdependent web of life in this science lesson that your school has sent home or where do we find um inherent the inherent worth and dignity of every person in this children's book about the vegetarian dragon um or you know whatever whatever it is um we are essentially writing the faith supplement to life right? oh amen i like that so um, i'm hoping our our guests will have some some final things that you want to say as we wrap up our show today tim and then joy and then asia and christina um, uh, so right now it's, um, connection, community-based. I'm a big believer that religious education programs should be more focused on relationships than curriculum anyway. Um, and how we transmit Unitarian Universalism is through mentoring and not teaching. And so this is the kind of environment where that becomes even more important. Um, and a focus on connection and relationship. Now, connection, I don't mean just connection to others. I mean, connection to yourself, connection to your family, connection to our faith, and connection to the universe, right? So a connection-based approach to faith development is where my focus is. Uh, Joy, do you want to go next? think that we are very attuned to the risk of isolation in this situation and yet we are highly skilled 
um, in some ways as a people of faith, like Clarissa, like Clarissa Pinkola Estes says, we truly were made or at least faith formed by Unitarian Universalism for these times. We have the skills if we can, um, we can move from thinking about isolation and connection to community and covenant and liberation. I feel that those will be touchstones that will, that will lead us towards understanding the opportunity of this moment, even as we hold a great deal of space and empathy and compassion and care about the impact this is having, not only on our congregants, but also our wider communities. I just want to say quickly that um, the, the, the concern of white supremacy culture in our congregations could be a whole other conversation about in a time of COVID-19, but just real quick, I'm going to say that if you look at those list of characteristics and understand some of the resistance that congregants and, and uh, leaders are having around change, you may find some things to ruminate on there, and they may become um, great discussion and discernment topics for your congregants. One thing we've been looking at at the FOSS Collaborative is sending out to our clients who are working with our curricula uh, permission to stop and to just start joining casually, um, obviously online, to look at how uh, more disenfranchi disenfranchised and less disenfranchised people in their immediate communities are being impacted and think about how their energy can safely be put towards the beloved community we wanna build. So I don't want to forget during this time that we are called to think not only about the within transformation and how we are in the goo and also our covenantal faith community, who, how we are among, because without it, we have an existential dilemma as a, as a people for who we don't have creed, but covenant. And, and also be willing to expand our concern and our awareness even during this time outside our homes to the wider community and think about how we partner with those who are um, doing doing the work of, of wider justice. Amen. Thank you. Chris, Aisha, any final thoughts that you want to leave us with? Amen to everything that's just been said. And uh, this, I love the liminal space and that we're in the goo and we could center liberation when we create something new. Amen and Ashe. Chris? Um, take care of each other and recognize limits and boundaries and, you know, put some limits and boundaries <laughs> out there in your work as religious professionals. Um, that's only going to help you, the, the, the people that you're there in community with. It's not just about helping you. So take care of each other, y'all. And take care of yourself. Drink enough water, get enough sleep, and find something to laugh about every day. That's my new tagline. I love you all. Wonderful. So helpful. Thank you. This has been an episode of The View. If you would like to learn more about the CLF, visit questformeaning.org.